Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 15 in our series for 2018, and today's date is Friday, May the 25th. I start out talking to Doug Stevenson, founder of Ducoman, a business targeting people looking to build a successful career, providing them with guidelines and mentoring them. And then I talk to economist Nicholas Gruen about how badly self-managed super funds are regulated. Important stuff in wake of the revelations coming out of the Hain Royal Commission into Financial Services. But first, let's talk to Doug Stevenson. Doug Stevenson, tell us about Ducoman. Yeah, Ducoman is a, a career care initiative that, that we've developed over many years. And, and essentially, we believe everyone has the potential to create a, a lasting legacy. We believe in personalised career care that focuses on delivering clarity and confidence through taking deliberate action. Essentially, the Coman is about finding work that matters. The way we do this is by delivering tailored support that helps people uncover true meaning in their career, provides them with the right tools to excel and make smarter decisions, but importantly, take action to create their own lasting legacy. So how does it work? I mean... Do you work with students? Do you work with people who are in mid-career? Who's your market? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Yeah, so it's a great question. Uh, initially, when we launched, uh, the primary people we were speaking to were graduates uh, coming out and into the, the workforce, the entry level. But more and more, we're actually finding people mid-career who are looking for a change, looking for ways to find more meaning in the work that they do and, and the value that they create. So how exactly does it work? What exactly do you do? So we have created a 20-day challenge that's based on the premise of understanding oneself, investing in oneself, focusing firmly on legacy and and mapping that career journey forward-looking. In that 20-day challenge, we go through an analysis process. Uh, We review the tools of the trade, as as we call them, whether that be CV cover letter, interviews, Skype, video, however that person will expect to undergo the process. But really, really important to all of this is understanding what legacy people want to leave and how they want to start building that from today moving forward. So exactly what do you do with someone? I'm in mid-career. I come to you. I say, I'm looking for a change. I've been doing this for 15 years. I want to move into a different area or I want to move up the ladder or I want to move into uh, a new area of profession. Uh, what would you do for them? Yeah, the first part is is having that personalised consultation and understanding that no two people are the same. And when we, when we deal with someone who is mid-career and looking for that change, we conduct an analysis and they begin the 20-day decoming challenge. And so as a part of that, we, we break down what are the key skills, what are the strengths that you've developed over that journey and how can you apply that in the right context that provides meaning to your career and eventually over time creates that legacy. So as a part of that, we, we look at things such as uh, gratitude, what people are grateful for. We also go a little bit deeper into the future of work, which is a really, really interesting space, particularly for those in mid-career looking at how they can conduct life learning, understanding what valuable transferable skills they have, what purpose means to them and, and how they define success over the long term. So that's, that's in part what we do to help them break down their legacy. So what exactly does that 20-day process involve? Take me through it. How does it step by step? Yeah, so the first part is we look at understanding oneself. So that that looks into the areas of what is one truly grateful for? We break down the areas of fear, past failure, personal values, and most importantly is the strengths component because what we find is people enjoy their work far more if they're essentially good at what they do and they can align that to a context that truly matters to them. The second area is looking at communication, relationships, and personal brand. So this is all delivered through an online course, and each of these modules have a, an online tutorial, and we have a Decoming Care coach that supports them through this process. So they would have a coach walking them through everything. Is that right? Exactly right, yeah. So as a part of the 20-day challenge, they'll have a coach that's there to guide them through the way, and they have the ability to ask personalised questions through either direct messaging on platform Slack or through social media channels or through email, whatever suits them at a time that suits them. Right. And for students, is it the same sort of process you get with graduates? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a three-tiered process. We have beginner, intermediate or advanced. 
Uh, the beginner is more focused at the graduates. The, the graduates who need to make that leap from they've been working part-time in retail or hospitality and now it's time for them to make the leap into the area, the context that they truly feel passionate about. So that's sort of the focus with the graduates. And uh, mid-career is what? So the difference between mid-career is intermediate uh, versus the, the beginner. And the key part there is a process we call matching. So the decoding matching is analysing the skills, the experience, the knowledge they've built up over those years. And from there, understanding where they can either go into a new sector or where they can make the progression up the ladder in their specific field. Right. And the advanced section does what? So the advanced section is a new tier that we've released. And this has actually come out of a lot of requests we've started receiving for people who are mid-career and want to take their skills and create their own venture. Now, their venture could be a not-for-profit foundation. It could be an entrepreneurial activity. It could be a social enterprise. And essentially, the big difference there is that we have a more tailored in-person approach to help them through the initial stages. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you're based where and do you have clients around the country? Predominantly, we're in Melbourne and Sydney. The majority of the people we work with are in Melbourne. However, due to technology, we can basically go anywhere nationally in the way that we deliver our support and care. Right, right. Uh, tell me, I mean, a lot has been written about the importance of having a personal brand in a career. Not everyone can have that. I mean, not everyone is a Richard Branson or, for that matter, a Rupert Murdoch. How does one develop a personal brand? That's a really, really interesting question. And, and it can be broken down, as you said, you said not everyone can be a Richard Branson um, or, or be in the limelight. But a personal brand, um, more traditionally, is known as a reputation. Um, and so the reputation is uh, the words that people use to describe you in your particular career and how you want to be remembered. And that personal brand has obviously manifested in a more public and visual way through LinkedIn, particularly in this space. Um, however, it's really, really important the person is authentic to their brand. And what does authenticity to a brand mean? So, for example, we have a lot of um, introverted people who decide to take on a career coach through us. Um, and quite often, being authentic is essentially staying true to your personal values. So those things are really, really important for particularly graduates coming out who, who take a bit longer to understand who they are. But working in a combination of the values and strengths that one has really helps to define what a personal brand means to them. So based on what you're saying, it would, it would suggest that anyone can really develop a personal brand. Yeah, absolutely. A personal brand doesn't mean... Um, being highly visible, you know, for every Steve Jobs, there is a, a was that has their own personal brand um, and stays true to their strengths and who they are. Right. What do you see the future of work now? I mean, it's going through enormous changes with technology and, and globalisation. How do you see careers developing in that context? That's a fantastic question. There's a lot of people trying to look into that crystal ball and predict the future. It's it's often a difficult task to understand the future of work. However, um, we've seen, you know, the Prime Minister launch the Industry 4.0 uh, task force specifically aimed at tackling this question. The biggest advice or the biggest uh, piece of insights would be for people to invest in life learning. And, and by that, 
Um, we need more people upskilling in specific fields. Obviously, IT is quite quite important. However, there's also other growing fields such as healthcare, um, which is seeing significant growth longer term. But essentially, to stay relevant over the next 15 years or five to 15 years, the fundamental skill people need to learn and commit to is being a life learner. And that means investing in micro-credentials, online courses, finding industries that have a longer tail. And that means constantly learning in areas, uh, whether it's healthcare or data analysis or anything like that. Absolutely. And we're seeing the emergence of T-shaped skills, which has been really, really interesting to observe. And that, and that is perhaps someone has a, a, they're a subject matter expert in a particular field. However, it's really, really important to round that off, and that's why they call it the T, with some level of understanding of IT in that field. Well, Doug, more strength to your arm, and that sounds uh, fascinating, and it sounds like it's a slowly evolving area, and it's going to be fascinating to watch. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for your time, and, uh, and good luck with your venture. And now let's hear from economist Nicholas Gruen. Nicholas Gruen, what's your view about the Royal Commission and the implication of advice and regulation of it? Well, we have been caught in a very, a kind of a, a cosmically comic dance, Leon. Uh, so we've been talking about the need to regulate less. Then we talk about the need to regulate financial advisors more. And we've been doing this for 20 odd years. And we always end up regulating financial advisors more, but it never solves the problems because we regulate them exquisitely badly. So the the worst of the the, the, the the most extraordinary example of this, which is still on the books, is the way we regulate self-managed super funds, DIY super funds. And what we do there is Instead of starting with a clean sheet of paper and well, we did have a kind of clean sheet of paper when we started the regime of DIY super funds uh, well over a decade ago. I'm not sure quite when it was. And what we did was we said, oh, well, we're already regulating those billion dollar funds, the, the unit trusts that people put their money in. So why don't we start there and we'll just sort of cut it down. So how how is this for extraordinary and absurd um mums and dads who uh have a small portfolio often of shares you know, sometimes there's a house in it uh but they're not allowed to get any private benefit out of that house so they can't live in it themselves uh or or typically rent it to relatives and so on mums and dads the the, the majority of these funds look like this and what we'd first do is we say, good, go go out to a city law firm and buy a trust deed, which you won't ever read. Uh, so I've done one of these. Uh, I, I've never read mine. So I run a self-managed super fund for my family. My trust deed is 64 pages long. I'm the trustee. I'm also the beneficiary. And that's and 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 it gets more and more absurd. So this costs. This costs every super fund, uh, well, it costs several thousand dollars to set up. It costs 
usually well over $1,000 to audit every year. Now, the word audit makes people feel good, makes people feel um, secure. But here's the thing. This is the sort of audit that you would perform on a big billion-dollar super fund. And the main reason you would, you would do an audit on a billion-dollar super fund is that the trustees and the beneficiaries are very different people. So you would want to make sure the trustees are not uh, misleading, uh, are not investing in things or saying that they're investing in things to beneficiaries and then not actually investing in them. Um, so that's the sort of audit that we do on uh, self-managed super funds. And that's not the kind of audit that we need. Uh, it's incredibly expensive. But the one thing we, you would want to make, the one thing that regulation might want to deliver to self-managed super funds is to protect the innocent mum and dad investors from investment spruikers like the investment spruiker who sold a woman called uh, Alison Cook, I think her name was. This is from an article I wrote in 2012. Uh, yes, Alison Cook. He sold her. She was paraplegic, got a big settlement from her injury. And he sold her absurdly risky investments on which he made a large uh, commission. And she lost two-thirds of her investment, half a million dollars because of this. Now, this audit regime doesn't catch that because all that Alison Cook's advisor has to do is to write up an investment strategy in the trust deed, which, of course, Alison won't have the, wouldn't really understand if she read it. You actually need to be a lawyer to understand what, what it means, not just an investment person. He can write into the trust deed something which includes this kind of investment that he's going to make all that money out of, uh, the, the, that into the investment strategy. Then he can execute the investment strategy. Then he takes his money. Then the money disappears. Then Alison Cook's got no money anymore and uh, everybody's sweet except for guess who. And that's all, that's all, that's happening now. And it's happening despite the fact that family super funds are paying $1,000, $2,000, sometimes $3,000 and $4,000 a year uh, because of this regulation. Quite something, I would have thought. And that's how we're regulating self-managed super. Well, the budget papers actually flag less regulation of self-managed super. And they say that's all about reducing red tape. Correct. And um, I think it's not very clear from the budget papers, but I think that uh, what they have in mind is following the recommendations of a Senate select committee in 2007. There may have been Senate, there may have been recommendations since, which simply say that if you've passed one of these $1,000, $2,000 audits in one year, um, Let's take it easy on the auditing, and the, that report said you should have five years. Uh, Penny Wong signed that report um, shortly before she became 
Minister for Finance and Deregulation. So uh, I'm sure Penny Wong, if if it looks at all like the recommendation that she signed, will be out there supporting the government to lower uh, this, to, to make this kind of regulation more sensible and rational. Now, uh, who knows? I don't know whether the government is going to do that kind of change, uh, but, uh, well, we know what the politics are, which is that governments propose things and then oppositions oppose them and then the two parties try and misrepresent the other's policies and their motives. Okay, but uh, the issue, though, is, I mean, this is this is quite horrendous stuff. I mean, if you have less regulation, this comes in the wake, though, of revelations coming out of the Royal Commission about yep. outfits yep. like, say, AMP. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. That's right. Uh, and uh, you know, charging fees for services that they didn't deliver. Exactly. For so what it's showing is that if you want to regulate, the question isn't whether there's more or less regulation. The question is, is it good regulation? Nobody wants to have that conversation because it's not an ideological question, so it doesn't get people riled up, so nobody will tune in. And it's very boring. It's very boring. I can quote you uh, what you know. I've, written, I've got down here on my screen about 16 sections of the superannuation uh, that's the, called the CIS Act, um, and these are all the sections that the audit has to cut, has to tick off. Now, it's actually by uh, having a discussion about those kinds of things that you can work out whether the regulation is any good or not. But nobody, nobody's got time to study up that. So we'll have a big Barney about whether we need more or less regulation. And the answer is we need both. <laughs> we need more regulation to stop the terrible things that are happening and less regulation to stop people doing perfectly normal things like having a shoebox based accounting system in which they have a in which they keep a portfolio of shares in their self-managed super fund this this is quite significant though for self-managed super funds i mean they are they're a huge industry yeah that's right and uh, the other thing is that in some ways you can argue that I mean, I don't want to argue for less or more regulation, as as I've made fairly clear. Um, but if the cost of regulation of self-managed super funds goes down, which I which it should, and you can bring it down very, very a very long way, uh, then it becomes more competitive with then it competes on a on a stronger footing with these uh, forms of superannuation where the big end of town rips you off. Uh, the only thing is we haven't got anything in place to stop the big or little end of town ripping you off in your self-managed super fund. So I guess the really what would be great would be if the government promises to get rid of all or most of the regulation that doesn't achieve anything and then puts in some deft regulation to uh, protect people from the rip-off merchants. Um, I don't think that's too hard. I, I mean, I'm doubtful they'll do the second, but I think they'll. It's, it looks from the budget papers that they'll do the first. Uh, sadly, we will then have a purely ideological discussion about it and a discussion which is um, drenched in the atmospherics of the Royal Commission, if I can put it that way, rather than the nuts and bolts of whether this is a good thing to do. 
Well, in view of the excesses we've heard of the what's happened at AMP, and uh, back in 2009, I remember uh, all these self-managed super funds were fleeced by Trio Capital, which uh, collapsed owing uh, nearly $200 million and left many people out of pocket. Yep. You'd have to say that a little bit of red tape could go a long way. Well, yeah, let's try and make it the right red tape. That's my point. Um, so so that's, that's, that's exactly the thing. But there's plenty of ripoffs going on now, uh, and we shouldn't imagine that, that the existing audit regime protects people from, uh, fr- from people who can get their foot in the door, advise somebody, set up their self-managed super fund, and then sell them the products that they want to sell them. That's what we are. That's what we ought to be trying to achieve. And uh, the other, the other way you could do this is you could build it, as I said earlier, from the ground up and say, well, uh, I would think you know, eighty, ninety percent of self-managed super funds are, let's call them, vanilla flavored. Um, now I don't know whether you really want to, um, whether you really want to. Um, uh, back the other, uh, whether you really want to create a regulatory regime at all where people can have exotic instruments with large amounts of of, um, commissions going to advisors. Uh, But for the bulk of investors, uh, they've got a a portfolio of shares. You can simply have a list of acceptable assets, uh, uh, some instruction on diversification and then the tax office can audit it on a risk adjust on a risk targeted basis in precisely the way they audit our taxes now that would bring the cost down from uh, uh you know thousands of dollars a year to uh you know well effectively nothing for uh tax pay, uh, for, for the for the people running the funds uh except that every now and again the tax office would say to them uh, we want to. We want to check you. You know, we want to check your paperwork. We want to do an audit, and then you'd have to go through the usual agonies of proving what you were doing. Uh, that's the sort of thing they could do, and it would be. It's a. It's a. It's an election promise that would be very attractive to particularly small business people, but to families all over the place running self-managed super funds. It's available to any of the political parties that. Um, understand you know that are prepared to buck the trend of the atmospherics which says which say more regulation more regulation more regulation so the the package would be let's lower the cost of regulation and let's make it work let's make it really protect people from the spruikers well let's see whether this government or whether the opposition have the courage to take it up it makes a lot of sense nicholas Gruen. thank you very much for your time thanks very much leon So what's happening in the news? Well, China and the US say they will halt imposing punitive import tariffs, putting a possible trade war that could have destabilised the global economy on hold. The Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, said that negotiations with Chinese officials have borne fruit, meaning Washington and Beijing can step back from imposing punishing tariffs on each other's exports. The breakthrough came after two days of talks between Mnuchin and China's Vice Premier Liu He in Washington last week. 
Mnuchin said that the US has won several commitments from Chinese officials that should cut America's trade deficit with China, which hit $375 billion in 2017. However, Beijing has not agreed to cut the deficit by a particular amount, despite the Trump administration pushing for a $200 billion reduction. Last month, the US and China announced a series of tit-for-tat tariff measures that, if implemented, could have triggered a full-blown trade war. The Trump administration announced 25% tariffs on more than a 1,000 Chinese products, from robots and depleted uranium to aircraft parts and dishwashing machines. Rather than be cowed, China swiftly hit back with proposals of tariffs of 25% on 106 American products, including soybeans, cars and chemical products. This could have hurt farmers in America's agricultural sector and, min- and manufacturers in the Rust Belt, two key election battlegrounds. The prospect of a trade war between the world's two biggest economies has weighed on the financial markets in recent weeks. Now, the US House of Representatives passed bipartisan legislation that would ease bank rules introduced in the wake of a 2007-2009 financial crisis, giving President Donald Trump a major legislative victory. The vote rolls back some of the 2010 Dodd-Frank rules that restricted operations by smaller banks and community lenders. And it keeps the Republican president's campaign promise to try to spur more economic growth by cutting regulations. And to Europe. And the populist coalition in Italy of Luigio Di Mao's five-star movement, or M5S, and Matteo Salvini's League, formerly known as the Northern League, with little-known lawyer Giuseppe Conte, nominated as Prime Minister, has caused such concern with its economic program because of one reason. Italian public debt stands at 2.3 billion euro. If M5S and the League follow through with their policy of lowering taxes and raising public spending, the consequent rise in the Italian deficit and debt is likely to make the markets panic. The new Italian government's economic agenda is causing anxiety in European capitals, especially Berlin, and it's raising fears of a Greek-style crisis. Now to Australia. And One Nation leader Pauline Hanson appears to have stymied the government's company tax plans. Senator Hanson has issued a long list of demands which are certain to sink the government's proposals. The demands include greater help for pensioners, an overhaul of the petroleum resource rent tax, committing to a gas pipeline from the west coast to the east coast, money for a coal-fired power station, and getting the banks to pay for the Banking Royal Commission. Now, One Nation has three Senate votes, and the government needs at least nine more votes to push through the legislation, cutting the tax rate for all Australian businesses from 30 to 25%. It's at least the fourth different position that Pauline Hanson has had on the tax cut since February. It also comes at a time when Labor leader Bill Shorten has attacked her support for the tax cuts, labelling her a Liberal Party stooge and a supporter of the big banks, as the campaigning gets underway in the by-election in the Sunshine Coast seat of Longman. Now, the big four banks, Suncor and the Bank of Queensland, have been cowed by the Hain Royal Commission on the first day of hearings into small business lending. They've been cowed into confessing fresh examples of poor behaviour, including fraud, incorrectly taking the homes of customers, overcharging and hounding customers over debts. The admissions were contained in submissions by the banks and were summarised by counsel assisting Michael Hodge QC as he set the scene for a damaging examination of how banks have treated small business operators and guarantors. 
And that followed earlier hearings that revealed abhorrent practices and claimed the scalps of AMP's chairman and its CEO. Now, a new tax on digital giants, including Google, Facebook and Uber, has won support from crucial Senate crossbenchers, clearing the way for a possible vote within weeks on two Turnbull government flagship economic policies worth $175 billion. Now, with Parliament resuming this week for a new round of negotiations over the government's $140 billion income tax plan and its stalled $35.6 billion bid to lower the corporate tax rate for big businesses, influential independent senators say a digital tax would help sway their votes. And Treasurer Scott Morrison has confirmed a tax targeting some of the world's largest and most popular companies is now inevitable, with Labor providing in-principle support for a crackdown on digital companies. Now, AGL has defied the Turmoil government and has announced it will close the Liddell power station in 2022. In making its decision, AGL has rejected Alinta's $250 million bid to buy the power station, which it called unsolicited, non-binding and highly conditional. Now, AGL has been under government pressure to either keep the old coal-fired power station open longer or sell it to somebody. AGL, however, decided it was sticking to its original plan. In its statement to the market, AGL said, and I quote, The AGL board has determined the offer is not in the best interest of AGL or its shareholders. The offer significantly undervalues future cash flows to AGL of operating the Liddell power station until 2022 and repurposing the site thereafter. Consequently, AGL has reaffirmed its decision to close Liddell in December 2022 and will continue progressing its New South Wales generation plan, which includes repurposing Liddell. This means AGL will now decommission the 50-year-old Hunter Valley power station. The plant's capacity will replace with cleaner energy sources, including a new $400 million, 250-megawatt gas-fired power station. AGL also plans to upgrade the capacity of its existing Bayswater plant by 100 megawatts. Now, the government, of course, had been pushing AGL to keep operating Liddell for several more years to provide electricity, at least until the expanded Snowy Hydro Steam came online around 2024. Now, oil and gas company Santos has rejected $14.4 billion takeover proposal from United States giant Harbour Energy and has terminated all discussions with the group. Santos said in a statement to the ASX that the final proposal from Harbour was a, quote, highly leveraged private equity-backed structure that prior to implementation would have required Santos to provide significant support for Harbour's debt raising and to hedge a significant proportion of oil-linked production. Now, Telstra mobile customers were hit this week with network outages across the country just weeks before the company is set to unveil a series of new initiatives to help it tackle the challenges of the hyper-competitive telecommunications market. The telco experienced network issues on 4G mobile voice and data services across Australia. It also affected 3G services. The telecommunications giant said a software fault triggered multiple elements across its 4G network to fail, and a further fault caused an interruption on its backup hardware which resulted in customers dropping back to the 3G network. Meanwhile, its competitor Optus has been fined $1.5 million for misleading customers about their transition to the national broadband network. The fine is double the amount Optus received, $750,000, from doing that. From October 2015 to March 2017, Optus told around 14,000 of its customers that their internet would be disconnected in as little as 30 days in some cases if they did not move across to the MBM. 
However, Optus could not force disconnection within the time frame it claimed under the terms of its contract. Optus also misled customers by telling them they had to sign up to Optus's NBN services when they could have chosen competitors like Telstra and TPG. And Toys R Us Australia has gone into voluntary administration months after the US and British retail giants collapse. Directors of the company resolved to appoint voluntary administrators McGrath-Nickel after the withdrawal of the final bidder for the sale of the Australian business. All Toys R Us and Babies R Us stores will remain open and continue to trade while the administrators explore options for the sale of standalone Australian businesses or a recapitalisation through the voluntary administration process. And finally, James Hardy Industries, the world's top fibre cement buildings materials maker, said that net profit in the full year fell 47.2%, hurt by higher asbestos claim settlement costs. Net profit fell to US $146.1 million for the year to March 31st. That's down from $276.5 million a year ago, and it also fell short of analysts' expectations for a profit of $278.3 million. James Hardy has unexpectedly faced a sustained increase in compensation claims from victims of the fatal asbestos-causing cancer mesothelioma, prompting its actuaries to lift its liabilities by 12% to $195 million. And that's it for this week. And next week, we've got a terrific interview with Steve McLeod, a former firefighter who created a $10 million company. In the meantime, you can keep up with me on Twitter at TalkingBizBizZ or on Facebook. Looking forward to talking to you next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.